One of the conclusions of the Cisco 2021 Security Outcomes Study for APJC is that organizations that proactively upgrade technology report have greater success. How this translates into the importance of software and cloud-first strategies is the subject of our podcast for future CIO for today. Now, joining us is uh, Kerry Singleton, Managing Director for Cybersecurity APJC for Cisco. Kerry, thank you for joining us on podcast for future CIO. Okay. okay, thank you for having me, and it's great being here. Let's start off with the gist of the study. Very briefly, what is the focus of this Cisco study? Yeah, so Cisco commissioned a security outcome study for 2021. It was a double-blind global study, and it included about 2,100 IT security and privacy professionals across 13 markets in Asia-Pacific. And it revealed that around 36% of APJC organizations reported successfully navigating current security challenges in today's remote-first world with software and cloud-first strategies. How would you compare the so-called security success among the different countries that were part of this survey for this region? Yes, yeah, so we, we had 25 different factors that contributed to the success of cybersecurity programs. And, you know, across the different markets, across APJC, a lot of the ratings and factors were, were sort of perceived differently by the different regions. So if we look at the data in Singapore, security awareness training was, was 21%. That was the highest. Whereas in Malaysia, security measures reviewed was the highest at, at 26%. And if you look at Indonesia, it was another one of those top 25 factors. It was actually security is important to execs at 19%. The Philippines, they were like Singapore, security awareness training was top. And then Thailand, the top for them was actually proactive technical refreshes. So we did see some differences across different parts of the Asian market from this survey. How would you attribute the disparity or the differences in priorities? Is it culture? Is it technology maturity? What drives the differences in the region? Considering that, technically speaking, a security software is the same regardless of which market you sell it, right? It's developed by the same company. One brand software security solution, for example, is the same regardless of whether I deploy it in Singapore or I bring it to Papua New Guinea. Yeah, a lot of it is to do with the maturities of different markets. If you look across Southeast Asia, Singapore probably is the most mature market. So they have invested quite heavily over the years in IT infrastructure, security infrastructure, etc. So security awareness training is something that's top of mind for Singapore. And it is something that they see as one of those critical success factors. So not surprisingly, that's number one, and it's quite high up there as well. It was also interesting to see that it was very, very high in the Philippines at 28% as well. Again, you know, they've also invested quite heavily and that they also understand that, you know, a lot of things around cybersecurity, it's not just technology, it's people, it's process, and it's a combination of technology. But they understand that they need to do a lot on the people side, on the awareness side, on the training side as well, which, you know, was, was interesting as well. The other thing we're seeing as well with cybersecurity is it's becoming more and more important for executives, for for the C-suite and a lot of customers. And a lot of this is getting driven by laws in different markets. We've heard a lot and we're all very aware of GDPR, which is in Europe and, you know, the real focus around data and data privacy. 
similar thing in, that has been rolled out into Thailand, which is GDPA. So that's part of the reason why execs is becoming more important to them because they have to understand what their cybersecurity posture is. They have to understand the risk of cybersecurity in their organization because if something happens or if they're breached, they potentially need to disclose that information publicly and it can cause serious damage and reputation issues. So it also depends on you know where the different countries are with regards to data privacy standards as well and compliancy. I remember that one, the issue. I was talking to some uh, the one of the associations for the financial services in Singapore a couple of years back and we said, I'm not really sure any bank would want to divulge that they were hacked. Not so much because they're afraid that it exposes that they are vulnerable, but more so probably because of a brand issue that they don't want to be perceived as being weak to a certain degree. What's your take on that type of positioning or perception? Yeah, I mean, in certain countries around the world, there are mandatory disclosure laws in place at at the government level. And like we read about a lot of high profile attacks, but we only typically read about them out of the US, out of Europe, also out of Australia as well. We see financial services organizations, you know, we've seen a lot of high profile brands being breached over the years and read about them online as well. And, and, And in those countries, if something happens and, for example, user data or personal data or banking information with information about individuals is stolen, they have to disclose that openly and that then goes public, that that information has been stolen or something has happened with that data um, as well. And we are starting to see a lot of other countries implement similar laws and put similar laws in place, which means things will be disclosed more publicly, which does mean that security becomes more important for the executives because it can cause damage to their reputation. In the past, if something happened, they didn't need to disclose it. They could potentially hide what had happened because there was no mandate for them to release that information. But it's becoming, you know, laws are changing in a lot of these countries where they're having to be much more open. So cybersecurity is becoming much more important at the exec level in a lot of these customers because of the the brand um, and also, you know, protecting the investments into those companies as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, one of the conclusions of the study is that there are the linkage between successful security and proactive upgrade of the technology. When you say upgrade, does it mean replacing an older technology with something, you know, the, the most recent version of whatever it is? Yeah, potentially. Look, a lot of on-prem based security products have a lifespan of somewhere between three to seven years. So when we talk about upgrading, it's potentially upgrading from one hardware solution to another. A lot of customers today and a lot of our customers we engage with are having conversations actually around cloud-delivered security, security that is actually delivered from the cloud. So when we talk about upgrade, they're actually changing from traditional on-prem-based security solutions um, to cloud-delivered security solutions. So that, that sort of thing is happening. But also when we talk about upgrade, we're talking about potentially adding on new things that protect us from new attack vectors. When we think about cybersecurity, there's multiple layers to it. So I'll just give you an example. If I was to send you an email, that would go through the email medium. So that attack vector would be the email system, and there'll be a gateway which could potentially protect me. But when my email message enters your network, you'll have a gateway, which is another place where you can add protection, and it'll potentially go through a firewall to get into your network. So that's another line of protection. That's what we call layered defense. 
Now, if that threat or vulnerability got into your network and somehow got onto your laptop, your laptop would run some sort of antivirus or anti-malware software, which again is another layer. However, if that executed and then tried to do a call out, there's the other layer, which is the web layer where it tries to call out. I could also have protection of that layer. And when we talk about upgrading, we're also thinking about the multi-layers of security and thinking about how we go about and protect ourselves from those those different layers of an attack as well. For the CIO and the CISO, looking at these, can I say the workflow of what you just mentioned and how uh, yes. our email goes through, they probably only have control of to the extent of what's incoming to them, right? Or even what they send out. But whatever happens to the middle part where the message is moving around the internet, that part, they, they have very little control. How do they then ensure that to a certain degree, one, that they protect themselves and two, that especially where it involves partners and our customers, that to a certain degree, they do provide as much a security or protection to their to whoever's receiving the message or the data on the other side uh, where, where possible. I mean, now, what's the workaround? I mean, what's the option for them? There's quite a few answers to that question. There's, there's, a, there's a lot to take into consideration and think about. When we talk about doing transactions through um, shared mediums like the internet, a lot of those transactions are taking place and they're encrypted. So there is some formal type of handshake between person A and person B. If I'm, if I'm about to send you an, an email, there is an opportunity there to actually encrypt that message communication from end to end, which means nobody could eavesdrop or do a man in the middle attack and actually see the, see the content of that message. But a really important part of cybersecurity is actually having a framework and having a security framework in place. And there's a lot of really good security frameworks out there today. One of the frameworks that a lot of customers use in the U.S. is something called NIST, which started out in, in the U.S. government and is a, is a cybersecurity framework, which defines all the different um, critical controls and the components that need to be protected in, in your cybersecurity posture. One that's used in Australia is, is something called the Essential 8, which the government have defined, which all of the um, customers in, in Australia use as well. CIS, which is a, another framework, is, is another very commonly used one. They all are very, very similar in the constructs. But when we think about cybersecurity, and it's difficult for the execs to get into the details of every single component, it's really important that customers do have a framework that they're following because that allows them to put structure around how they go about protecting themselves from a cybersecurity standpoint. BYOD, bring Please. your own device. It may not be an official culprit and <laughs> neither is digital transformation may not necessarily. It's become popular because it's uh, supposedly empowered business unit leaders to you know, bring in revenue, help the business grow. But it also yeah. meant that it's seen the growth of what some analysts call shadow IT. Now, how do you enforce cybersecurity in an organization where shadow IT is encouraged by leadership because we want to grow the business? And look, BYOD was a challenge and then you introduce everybody working remotely and it's another challenge because a term we, we refer to in cybersecurity is something called the attack surface. When I started working in IT around about 20 years ago, everything was contained within the perimeter of the office. 
when I went home from the office, I didn't have access to the network. I couldn't connect into the network. If I wanted to do my work, I had to go to the office. I didn't have a laptop. I used to sit at a desktop computer. And back then, the world of cybersecurity was quite straightforward because everything was contained within the boundary of those four walls. And there was one way for me into the network and out of the network when I went to the internet. And we think about it today, and you mentioned BYOD, you mentioned shadow IT. You know, potentially, if I'm working on a BYOD device from home and I'm connecting into the corporate Cisco network, I could also install 20 other applications on my phone, which Cisco doesn't know anything about. I could be off sharing data to, you know, 20 other sort of cloud-delivered providers, which would be that shadow IT, the thing you're sort of referring to. <laughs> now, what, one thing that's really important and that is under the control of the IT, the CIO, the CTO, etc., is the ability to actually monitor. So if, you know, back to your point, that the execs want to allow shadow IT because it enables the business to move quicker and digitize quicker as well. If you have good tools in place so you can see every connection going out of the network, every connection going from every device that is under your management, from every user that is authenticated into the network, you can get a really good picture of, of your exposure from a shadow IT perspective. Every single application that's out there that's been used. You know, as, as an example in the corporate network that I live in, that I'm working in today, I can go and install a application, a shadow IT application. However, IT is monitoring everything I do and they can actually see what I've installed. And if I put something on that's harmful or something on that is going to be a threat or is potentially going to leak data out of the environment, I'm not even allowed to open it and it gets shut down before I'm even allowed to do something like that. So that does give the organization an element of control but it also allows the users to go out and actually move a lot quicker in the way they work. So there are certain things you can do to, I won't say stop it, but understand, assess the risk and stop the use of applications which are definitely malicious or are encouraging sensitive data to be shared unsecurely outside of the organization. I was recently having a, an argument, and maybe argument is too strong, <laughs> but a, a discussion between a CISO and a CIO with regards to the direction that leadership, including finance, have approved that we will have a hybrid where it's on-prem, off-prem, and everything plus the edge as well. You mentioned uh, remote working, so you have people com uh, computing at the edge as well. And all of this needs to be done in real time, at least from the point of view of the CIO. So I need to have real-time visibility and for the CIO control as well. Uh, how do you provide this real-time visibility and control from a security standpoint? Is that even possible where you consider a multi-cloud hybrid environment? It's interesting that you started off the question like that because quite often the CISO and the security department are thought of as the department of no and then sort of, you know, the CIO and the, the guys delivering the, the guys and girls delivering the infrastructure and applications are sort of seen as the ones causing all of the vulnerabilities and security problems. So there is quite often that, that sort of tension there as well. As we've moved into this remote working world, part of the problem is we moved there pretty much overnight. I think we've all lived through it where countries went into complete lockdown and some of them gave one two three days notice to the citizens and some of them just some of the countries just said as of right now or as of today we're going into a complete lockdown and, and that's meant you know companies had to really really quickly mobilize and enable their sales forces or the, the, their customer base to work remotely Cisco was in the same situation as well one day I was in the office the next day I was working remotely and they had to be 
IT world and the security world move really quickly. The IT world had to get everybody up online and, and mobilized and working remotely pretty much overnight. And that did cause some problems where security was a bit of an afterthought. And, and part of the issue that we have today and a lot of customers still have today is they don't have visibility and control into what's happening in those remote working environments. There's another sort of three pillars of cybersecurity that you sort of think about, and that goes back to those frameworks I was talking about before, the NIST framework, the CIS framework, the, the Critical Eight down in Australia, and that's really around the pillars of protect, detect, and respond. So a lot of investment has gone in to protect, you know, putting in firewalls, putting in VPNs, so virtual private networks, putting in endpoint solutions, putting in web gateways, DNS-based solutions. But the problem is, how do we actually detect? How do we get visibility of what's happening? And then once we know and understand what's happening, how do we then respond to those threats as well? And one of the things that you know, you'll know you see in this report and, and hear about a little bit is, is around one of our platforms that we've deployed. It was around about a year and a half ago, we deployed it um, called SecureX. And SecureX is a detection and response platform that allows you to integrate all of your security products into a single console. I run a, a version at home myself as, as a trial where I can actually see all of my devices connected at my home network in a single dashboard. So I can see everything that I'm using for protection. I can see everything that I've detected happening inside my network. And then I can take action around how I respond to those threats as well. And we've got a lot of customers out there who are speaking to us about how do they get to that point as well? How do they actually look at a set of products which integrate together where they can be protected? They can actually now detect threats regardless of whether they're in the corporate network, whether they're in a remote network at somebody's home, or whether they're in a, on a Wi-Fi hotspot in an internet cafe somewhere. And then how do we go about responding to those threats? How do we take action when we see those threats happening? And today, for a lot of the C-suite, that, that is a real blind spot for them. They're not really sure what's happening in those in those remote environments. And probably that's not going to change anytime really soon, right? Especially well, given that there are a lot more technology. You haven't even broached the topic of IoT. <laughs> that's another yeah, no, one. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say yes and no, right? Um, a, lot of, a lot of customers out there today, everybody talks about the new normal and return to work and all of these other terminologies that are out there. But the reality is a lot of these large enterprises and working environments are using this as an opportunity to become more efficient. I've spoken to a few customers where they're, they're saying a certain percentage of their workforce, a lot of the back office operations people, are going to continue to be remote workers. So they're going to need to look at more permanent long-term solutions as to how they sort of provide security and IT services to these types of workers because they're here to stay. So we are talking to quite a few customers who are now wanting to have conversations around, you know, we went from business continuity planning to business continuity execution overnight. We did things in a rush. Yes, there are certain blind spots and things that we don't have visibility into. But now we understand we're going to have to do this long term. So we need to look at a solution or a set of solutions which allow us to have the capabilities we need from a cybersecurity perspective longer term. A couple of last questions to ask you. Why is Cisco interested in cybersecurity? Good question. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've, I've not been asked that question before. I'll sort of do my best to answer it. I mean, security and cybersecurity is very much foundational to everything that we do today. 
like Cisco has a great heritage of, of networking, building routers and switches. And, you know, we built a large proportion of the internet. We built, you know, a large proportion of, of a lot of customer environments. Cybersecurity is a differentiator. It's a conversation that comes up with every single one of our customers today. They all want to speak about cybersecurity and talk about how we're protecting the users as well. So when we at Cisco look at cybersecurity, we look at it from a, a few different angles. We look at it from the network. How do we go about securing the network and the networking infrastructure? We also look at it from an endpoint perspective. The endpoint could be the device that I'm speaking to you today on. It could be my mobile phone. It could be a printer. It could be it's anything that's connected to the network. How do we go about securing that endpoint on the network? The other one, um, and this is the way you know the world's moving now as well, is the application. How do we go about securing the application? And when we think about applications, as I said, Cisco's got a strong heritage of networking, but I could be sitting in my home environment here connecting to a SaaS-based application in the cloud, and I'm not touching any of my corporate networking infrastructure. I'm directly going out to the cloud and connecting to that application. So the application is, is a very important part of the conversation as well. Even when we're in the network, we do a lot of application-based controls across the networking fabric and networking infrastructure, but having the ability to be able to secure that is again something that every single customer is asking us about today and understanding the analytics and the workflow. The other real pillar is the user and the user is incredibly important. You know, when I spoke to you before about how we used to work 20 years ago, if I go into the office environment, I can be authenticated by the security guard as I enter the building but also by my work colleagues because they'll see me and say, good morning, good afternoon, Kerry, good to see you. You know, I'll sit down at my machine and start doing working away. But when I'm working remotely, how do we authenticate that user? That's also a very challenging thing as well. So that's where, you know, products like multi-factor authentication come into place as well. And Duo is one of our products that provides that capability, integrates with our VPN. Another really important part of that puzzle is what we call our zero trust architecture as well. So again, this is built on top of the network and security is built into the fabric of the network where we actually don't trust anybody. They have to go through a series of authentications to trust them to connect to the network. So when I talk about zero trust, I want the person to authenticate with username and password that builds up that level of trust. I want to be able to see that that laptop is using a certificate that is approved for that network. That's building up that level of trust. I then go through a multi-factor authentication process. Again, that's building up that level of trust. And once I trust that person enough, I'll now allow them access to the network. So that's also another important piece of the puzzle. So I, I hope that answers the question for you. It does. Thank you. And any final thoughts around cybersecurity in 2021 with and without COVID-19? One of the things, like I said earlier on, there was a movement going on for the past four or five years around the way customers consume IT, the way that they move towards the cloud, how customers are looking at hardware-based solutions, which are a capex models versus um, software-based solutions which are a reoccurring opex-based models as well there was a change in the way customers were spending but with COVID coming along movement has really come along a lot quicker and that transition has actually happened a lot quicker as well so we've really really seen that accelerate and when we look at 2021 i can't really see it slowing down i can see people continuing to use this as the opportunity to digitize to 
you know, change the way that we work as well. I think, you know, as, as far as, you know, COVID is probably the largest working from home experiment the world has ever, has ever seen. And I think we've seen a lot of success out of it. Uh, we've actually seen, you know, even within Cisco, we've seen productivity go up. We've seen the way people work and interact with collaboration tools improve and go up as well. It's been a really interesting lesson and an interesting way of working. But sort of, as I said before, I think, you know, what we'll see this year is we'll see a lot of customers, you know, understand that this is here to stay and this is um, something that a way that they need to run part of their business in the future. So you'll see a lot of customers wanting to have deeper conversations, how they can secure different types of workers that they have in a, in a better way. You'll see customers have a lot more conversations around looking at integrated architecture, you know, looking at what I spoke about before, not just investing really heavily on protection, but how do they actually go about detecting threats and responding to threats in a better way as well, which we're already seeing. And we'll see a lot more of that as, as well from a cybersecurity perspective. Sounds like you'll have a long, busy year ahead of you. Indeed, which isn't a bad thing. Oh, yeah, I love that. I love to be busy. Thank you. <laughs> Kerry, thank you very much for joining us on Podchats for Future CIO. Thank you, and uh, I really appreciate you having me today as well. That was Kerry Singleton, Managing Director of Cybersecurity APJC for Cisco on the topic of cybersecurity challenges with software and cloud-first strategies in 2021. You are listening in to Podchats for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for our weekly free newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now.